Welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. If you're new here, hi, I'm Kelsey, and I am the founder of Visionary Life. In this community, we chat about peak health, inspired living, and all things entrepreneurship. Every day, I strive to live out my own most visionary life while guiding others to do the same. So at this point, you may be wondering what a visionary is. As a visionary, you likely live a life a little bit differently or are ready to make some shifts in your life that will lead you to your dreams. Visionaries are creative, driven, and energetic, and we're living a life full of want-tos and not have-tos. Welcome back to another episode of Visionary Life. I'm really starting to look forward to Sundays when I get to upload another podcast episode for you all. Although this podcast takes a lot of work to plan and execute, I'm so grateful for the connections I've made, the feedback that I get from you, and for the skills I've up-leveled in while learning this whole new piece of my business. I have really big aspirations to grow this podcast, to travel and interview so many wonderful visionary people and leaders, and right now I'm feeling really grounded in where this bus is going. So as you know, I record all these episodes in person, and at this point, it's quite local. And I'm really making an effort to kind of engage the community around me in hopes that this leads me to scaling up big time. So I'm honing in on perfecting my interview skills and really highlighting people here in Ontario, so around the Toronto area and beyond. I've had a lot of people asking lately why I started a podcast, so I did kind of want to give you a little overview of where this all came from. First of all, I love genuine connection and conversation. So to have 45 minutes or an hour where you get to flip off your phone and really just chat with someone authentically is so cool to me and something that I feel like doesn't happen enough in today's world where we're quite distracted. I love to think that I'm expanding my impact with this podcast and so with my business I'm completely online in all that I do right now and that's because it allows me to reach the world and not just the people in my immediate network. So as many of you know in my past life I was a nutritionist and I would go meet with clients one-on-one. And although I loved that a lot, I realized that my impact was quite minimal in the sense that I could only help one person per hour. And although I adored that and I know that there is a ripple effect that's associated with working with clients one-on-one, what I really desired was to grow that reach and to work with many, many people and impact numerous humans with one piece of content that I could share. In addition, of course, I started this podcast for lead generation, right? I mean, you'd be crazy to think that having a podcast or putting up a blog is has no <laughs> tie-ins to making a sale or bringing on new leads to your business. So part of growing my brand means putting out lots of value and content and really making these genuine connections because I love what I do so much so that you trust and enjoy what I'm doing and hopefully will eventually partner with me and link arms and know that we're in this together because we have similar interests. 
Anyways, on to today's show. Robin Baldwin is our guest, and when I began to write out what I wanted to say about Robin, I had a thought that it would almost be easier to tell you the list of things this girl doesn't do, i.e. I don't know how she packs it all in and lives such a full life. But she just does, and that's what I admire so much about Robin is how much she packs into her days. So if you don't already know Robin, she is a podcaster behind the Alpha Female Podcast. She runs a lifestyle blog over at robinbaldwin.com. She wrote a book called Love Lost, Life Found. She's planning a wedding while working full-time at her day job, and she manages multiple side hustles and passion projects. She's got a thriving health coaching business with doTERRA essential oils, and really the list goes on. I met Robin through doTERRA, and for that, I am really grateful. We have since become amazing friends and recently spent a few nights together as roommates at our leadership conference with doTERRA. I know I talk about my business all the time with doTERRA essential oils so much, but that's because it has tapped me into the most powerful and wonderful community of leading minds in health. And for that, I'm forever grateful. And of course, I want you to be part of this movement with us. So stay tuned until the end of the episode for a special announcement. Until then, let's dive into the episode with Robin, where we chat about how she launched her online brand, living with multiple sclerosis, juggling side hustles while holding down a full-time gig, and planning an upcoming wedding of her dreams. I know you'll enjoy this one, so let's get into it. Okay, welcome Robin to the Visionary Life Podcast. So we are sitting in our hotel room right now. I am so grateful that you're a morning person like me because it's still 6 a.m. <laughs> and we are at doTERRA's leadership conference in Orlando. So I think this is the earliest podcast I've ever recorded. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on early. <laughs> I'm so happy that we are up and at it. So we were going to record last night, actually, but we realized that we're both a little more perky and on our game in the morning. So as you know, Robin, this show is all about health, inspired living, and entrepreneurship, all of which we will be covering. So again, thanks for being here. Thanks for being my roomie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to start somewhere that is very familiar to a lot of our listeners because I know a lot of people who listen to the show are podcast lovers and they've likely stumbled across your podcast. So your show is called The Alpha Female Podcast and I'd love to just know how long have you been hosting this show? I started it January of 2016. So this is year three. Wow. Um, so yeah, I did 50 episodes first year, 50 episodes the second year. So I'm now into the 100s, which feels pretty cool. Congratulations. Triple digits. Yeah. <laughs> and what drove you to start a podcast in the first place? So I had started blogging first in 2009. And my coworker at the time I was working in the advertising agency world. And I had started fitness competitions. And my coworker had called me an, an alpha female just for working out in the morning and then going to the office and then working out after. And I was like, why? but why? And I was like, well, that's a cool name. Let me call, let me call my blog that. So I had just like named the blog the Alpha Female Blog. And it was just, 
uh, talking about how I was training for fitness competitions, like maybe I'd share some of the things I was eating. I was trying to build a personal brand because I wanted to be on the cover of a magazine one day. That was my only goal. And um, I never defined it. I never really talked about what an alpha female was. It was just something that was there. And uh, after my, my, let's see, my diagnosis with MS in 2014, I started talking publicly about how I take care of myself. And I found a hate thread online about how I take care of myself and the fact that I called myself an alpha female. And one of the comments that I read before I never read that thread again, <laughs> I've learned, I've learned my lesson. Yes. But one of the comments was like, what gives her the right to call herself an alpha female? And I said, good point. What does give me the right? I haven't even defined it. Well, like, what is, what is an alpha female? So I wrote a definition and I started interviewing women just on my blog. So it was a blog feature. Every Friday I would post an interview. And then I started getting into podcasts and I was like, ooh, this, this would be an amazing opportunity to chat with really amazing women. Let me start a show. So it became how do I make alpha female, the definition, the community about other people, not about me. Because clearly if it's just all about me, it's really, really selfish. Um, and that triggers people. So let me make it about a supportive community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you say what gives you the right to call yourself, but I also think what gives that person the right to judge you for something that's obviously, yeah. you know, a good force in your life. But yeah, it's cool to see how it's evolved. I think that's so important as visionaries. Like it may have started as a blog feature, but yeah. you realize that there was probably an evolution that needed to happen for it to reach more people and you weren't afraid to launch into a podcast, which you'd probably never done before, right? You had to teach yourself a lot of things to get there. So um, on the name of the show, I know it's called the Alpha Female Show, but have Mm -hmm. you ever considered opening it up to interviewing men or other genders? We've actually had this conversation with my community because I had asked them if they would potentially like this. It was in my, I do a survey at the end of the year asking them, you know, what questions do they like, what questions do they not like, stuff like that. And... I'm actually going to have the first alpha male on the show. Awesome. Um, but I think the lens is, is if I do bring alpha males on, right now it's alpha female Friday, the episode launches on Friday, I'm like alpha male Monday, that means I just add a second episode, but yeah. I don't want to do that. It's like a bonus episode. <clears throat> yeah, so it's going to be like how um, do alpha males in our life support us, um, how can we you know, turn to them for advice um, to lead a better life, because the entire show is about work-life harmony and how to take care of yourself while going after your goals. So if an alpha male can come into that conversation, that'd be cool. So I have um, actually the owner of Fitness Genes who's going to come on because Mm -hmm. he's launched a new company where they do genetic testing to tell you how um, you could possibly work out differently based on your genetic makeup, how to eat differently for your genetic makeup. So I find that fascinating. And he's going to do like a live reading on my show. Awesome. Um, I've thought about bringing my fiance on, like, how do you live with the chief alpha female? (laughs) (laughs) We would love to hear that episode. Um, And then I've had a lot of uh, dating coaches, male dating coaches come on to want to like tell alpha females how they can date um, beta males or alpha males, um, which I'm not that excited about, so I just haven't brought them on yet. (laughs) It doesn't let you out. Don't go there. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if my listeners, I'd have to pull them, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
And um, do you have a favorite part about hosting or producing or sharing your weekly show? So I say all the time that um, I realized when I started the show, I was doing it because I missed having genuine conversations with other females. So I was definitely, you know, in middle school, you'd call your best friend and you'd talk on the phone for hours about absolutely nothing. Um, But it was just that feeling that you got from connecting with another like-minded female. And um, I have best friends around the country and we send like voice notes to each other. Uh, But when we sit down to have a FaceTime and actually genuinely sit and talk, it just lights me up. So Mm -hmm. I selfishly get to sit on the phone and talk with really amazing women Mm -hmm. once or twice a week. Um, And that's why I love it is because it's just bringing back the art of conversation. Yeah, I think that's that must be why podcasting has blown up so much is because for a few years, I think we were lacking that. Like texting became everything to mm-hmm. us in online communication. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we had this hunger for someone to be in our ears just talking to us. It was like soothing, right? Yeah. I even fall asleep with them. Like that's how much I love the, the intimacy of it. Um, okay, so last couple of questions on your podcast. Do you have a dream guest that you haven't had on but you would love to have? Oh, I've just started making my... So it's funny. We're both in the doTERRA world. And in the doTERRA world, you have your... You call it your chicken list. Like people that you're too scared to reach out to. So I have a chicken podcast list. (laughs) Um, And it's just people... And I'm trying to like watch to see if they do other podcast um, interviews. And then then I'll be like, okay, they might, I can slide in there and maybe ask the question. But, like, I really want, like, Caitlin Bristow. She's launched her podcast. I want Julianne Harris. Um, I would love to have, like, oh, like, Brene Brown um, and some of the big names, like Gabby Bernstein and yeah. Danielle Laporte. So um, I've got, like, the big names. So I just have to wait till they launch a book and then they're on a podcast mm-hmm. rotation to kind of throw my name in there. Amazing. <laughs> and for the listeners who maybe like myself, sat on the idea of podcasting for a long time and just have that block to actually getting started. Do you have a tip or a tool that you can offer to others that are hoping to launch a show of their own one day? Yeah, so there's twofold. There's so many easy ways to learn how to get started. I simply did, I think it was Pat Flynn's, um, no, or... Uh, who's the other guy? But Pat Flynn does have a free podcasting course. And then there's the JD on Fire. Is that correct? Do you know who I'm talking about? I know who it is. But yeah, on Fire. Yeah. He's got a free podcasting course. And it's actually a podcast that you listen to. And it teaches you how to do it. There's YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. You know, free resources on how to launch. Um, but then there's a lot of people who are like, well, podcasting is blowing up. What, like, what makes me okay to launch you know my name into the game and it's the same thing I would say that podcasting is the new blogging and the same thing when people said like I want to launch a blog what gives me the right to launch a blog someone somewhere wants to hear the message the way that you are going to portray it or the way that you're going to organize it um so you have you have value and need in this world and your audience will come and even if you serve just one person and you totally get lit up inside from making the podcast then it's worth it to launch it yeah you definitely have to love it and want to be consistent with it it's so. an expensive hobby yeah and it takes time right <laughs> yeah. it's not just like record and it releases itself to the universe Uh, So you alluded to the fact that you had a blog and a Mm -hmm. brand much before your podcast. So I want to 
kind of zoom back a bit, but can you take us back to the beginning of your blogger days? So mm-hmm. how long have you been at this? I think you might have mentioned. 2009, yeah. Okay, and what, um, star- what prompted you to start a whole online platform? So I was training with Elizabeth Lopez in Toronto. I did her hourglass workout boot camp, and um, I started taking a few of the classes, and then I realized that a whole bunch of them were training for fitness competitions at the end of the year. I was like, sign me up, like, give me a goal, let me get there. And she was really, really amazing at uh, doing different workshops for us. She did one on holistic health, teaching us how to find naturopath, um, optimizing our vitamins and minerals by actually getting our blood tested so that we were um, taking the right supplements for what our body needed. And uh, she was also really good at teaching us that if we ever had a goal of getting on a magazine cover, how to build a personal brand. So she was kind of the first one that taught me that, and she has a you know a massive, amazing personal brand. And so that was the goal. I just wanted to get on the cover of Oxygen Magazine, and I thought I needed a blog and a social media presence to be able to do that. And um, I, just, I think I just kind of talked about um, training, nutrition, um, and then as I got a little bit more of a following and more readership I would do like fitness reviews so like different I used to live in Toronto and different Toronto gyms would be like come to our fitness boutique and um, try out our workout and then can you write about it and so that was the the beginning days one of my articles is actually still the most read article and it's called skinny fat does exist (laughs) and people are searching for like skinny fat on Google finding my blog I need to update that because what does that mean exactly skinny fat is like I've always been the same size I've always been really tiny but what prompted the whole fitness journey was I remember standing in an elevator and looking um, I was in a bathing suit heading down to the like a pool with a guy that I was dating and I remember standing and looking back in the mirror and I could see like a ton of cellulite on the back of my legs and he saw me checking myself out. He's like, yeah, you're kind of getting a little chunky. <laughs> um, so I, had, I started doing research because I didn't feel overweight. I didn't feel like, uh, like quote unquote fat, but I had no muscle. I had no tone, muscle tone. Um, and so I wanted to learn how to build muscle and in the process, get rid of the skinny fat. Mm quote-unquote that existed so it sounds like your kind of your brand and your blog evolved almost in like a I don't know you want to say vain way like you wanted to be on the cover I talk about it all the time okay yeah yeah but it's obviously transitioned into that so I still want to look good naked fair enough I think (laughs) (laughs) top of my bucket list too um so as it's evolved have you found that your followership has changed is there, do you kind of define a different market for your platform now? Yeah, I would say that um, I don't know who I was really trying to get as a follower, but as I was training for fitness competitions and obviously posting pictures of me in sparkly bikinis and stripper heels, mm-hmm. I was gaining a certain type of male audience. Um, and that was very evident when I cleaned up my Facebook friends list the other day. I was like, wow, I accepted a lot of men. Um, so yes, men obviously like looking at half naked women. So that was kind of the audience that I, um, gained and as my fitness and health journey evolved. So 
I, it evolved twice. The first time was when I got out of fitness competitions and started obstacle course racing. My audience changed to other obstacle course racers or people looking for the latest fitness trend or just different ways of taking care of themselves. And then when I was diagnosed with MS in 2014, I started blogging a lot more on my health journey. So the blog kind of has different components. It Mm -hmm. has the podcast episodes. It has, like, I'll put book reviews up there, race recaps, how to train for races. I'm obsessed with seasonal bucket lists. So Mm -hmm. a big part of the blog is my adventures or how I plan out my bucket list. And then now it's how I take care of myself. So I want to serve especially other alpha females or emerging alpha females that want to go after goals but don't know how to take care of themselves yet completely and have this like pit in the middle of their stomach that is telling them that they need to do better by their bodies so that they can go after all their goals and dreams mm, so that's, that's my super cool now. it's very unique and well defined mm-hmm. too so here at leadership we're talking a lot about the gallup strengths finder and we've all done our strengths in the past 24 hours and kind of it spit out your top five. And so this question I think will actually be interesting. But when it comes to your blog, do you follow a content calendar or are, or are you more of a go with the flow person when it comes to creating content? Because I think both can be. Yeah, I would say I'm 50-50. So I use... <coughs> WordPress and I use the WordPress calendar so I can like pull up the month and look at everything and my Friday posts are always my podcast episodes so those are nicely mapped out and then I look to see during a month if I have an event so if let's say like for February Mike and I went ice climbing so I had an ice climbing recap scheduled for the Monday after Mm -hmm. so I kind of put if I've got events then I do recaps And then I'll look at the blank spots and I'll go, what do I want to talk about? And sometimes that won't come to me until like the day before or I try to batch write on the weekend. And so I'll write like a Monday and a Wednesday post all on Sunday night. And it's a lot of the time like what's on my heart or um, how can I serve other people? Like we just attended a wedding and a baby shower all in one day. And so um, I also like to try to solve pain points. So I love researching and solving pain points for people and or my own pain points. So weddings, I really hate horrible speeches. So I did a blog post about um, like the top 10 tips for writing a wedding speech. (laughs) And then I've attended baby showers where you just sit around a living room watching somebody open presents. And I find that really awkward and uncomfortable. But we attended a really fun one, so I took like two of the ideas that they had done and then I went crazy on Pinterest and found some other. So I like providing information and ideas to people. And it's funny, one of my strengths is input and learner. So input, people like uh, to curate content. And Mm -hmm. I love curating content. I love finding it for others and then presenting it in a really easy, um, absorbable way. Very cool. Yeah, I love that you do the mix. I'm kind of like that as well. It's like some is planned and I obviously need some element of like calendaring in my system, but it's also nice to leave room for that go with the flow stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think everyone has a different mix that makes their business thrive. So um, last kind of topic on your blog, I keep encountering these headlines that say blogging is dead or is blogging dead. Mm. I don't believe it is, but for those who are listening who may have that opinion, I would love to get your thought on that since you've been in this space for quite a long time. 
Well, we're in an attention-deprived um, culture, right? Um, and Gary Vee, you know, a huge online marketer, talks about it, that like he deals in um, attention. And it's true. You have to gain people's attention. And if they like what you're putting out into the world, then you get to keep their attention. So I'm very cognizant of that. And I like to do much shorter blog posts now, like the top 10 tips for writing a wedding speech is 10 things. Like I'm not getting into um, details of why I hate wedding speeches or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not putting a lot of effort into some posts because it's just like you're going to land on the page. You don't even want to scroll down. And then there are times where I will kind of like um, unload what's on my heart uh, and share something super vulnerable and they're my top read posts and people are finding them. So mm-hmm. um, I'll give an example like I had, and this was something I got from one of our fellow um, podcasters that we both like listening to, Jesse Lively. He used to write posts. It's like 10 things I'm afraid to tell you. Mm-hmm. Like one of my top posts because people are like, ooh, what is she afraid what is she to tell say? you? <laughs> totally, totally uh, clickbait. Like clickbait. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's okay though. I'm, I'm okay with um, employing those tactics now and again. Just Absolutely. To, just to get people's interest. So I don't believe it's dead. I believe people like to get their content in different ways. And you know, we like audio. Some people like reading. So... For example, some people will probably not listen to my podcast, but they may quickly read the show notes on the blog. Definitely. So I'm trying to provide them with different ways of getting content. Mm-hmm. Meeting them where they're at. Yeah. So let's shift gears a bit. Um, I introduced you to the listeners and shared a bit about your backstory before the interview started, but I'd love to hear more about your history and your story. So aside from entrepreneurship and business chats, we also talk about health on this show. And it's something I know you're quite passionate about, especially since you manage a chronic illness from day to day called multiple sclerosis. So first of all, can you let our listeners know what MS is? Mm -hmm. So the simple science in terms of explaining it is you have attack cells in your body that protect you. They're called T-cells. If your body is confused, um, which is the way that I explain those that have autoimmune diseases. So my body got confused and I was predispositioned to um, have those T-cells attack the myelin sheath, which protects your central nervous system. Um, your, your myelin sheath is also, in, like it can also be in your brain. So the T-cells attack usually your brain and down your central nervous system protector and they eat away at it. Uh, And that's basically areas of inflammation. So MS is a disease that um, just eats away at that. And then when that area is exposed, your central nervous system can have a heyday. So depending on where it's eaten away, you can have different symptoms. So MS is known as a snowflake disease, which means a snowflake is you know never the same. It's the same thing with the disease. Everyone has different symptoms. They experience it differently. It looks differently for everybody. Um, so I'm very blessed to not have um, any disability um, and very, very minimal symptoms. The area that was initially eaten away on my spine is at the C2, C3 area. So when I overheat, my central nervous system there can't communicate with the rest of my body and I get numbness and tingling down the right side. Um, and if I'm doing a really crazy obstacle course race, like putting myself through a Spartan beast, and really, really overheating, I've lost eyesight um, as well. So, so once that area is exposed, 
can you rebuild it back? There's a lot of talk about it. It's called remyelination, and there's a lot of research around it. There's some um, people that are studying, like, is it possible? Um, I'm of the mindset, because I have a really positive um, outlook, that it's going to be eventually possible. I don't know whether it will be in my lifetime, but I do believe it's something that will happen, because I believe that the body can heal itself. So from a very woo-woo perspective, I have always thought that I have the power to heal myself, even when people told me this disease is um, incurable. Like There is no quote-unquote modern-day cure. Um, but I've been able to figure out that if I take care of all the building blocks of my health, that I can be in remission. And that's not a word that's used in the MS community. It's used in, say, like the cancer community, where you can live with cancer for the rest of your life. So it's a similar type um, of thought process. If I ensure that my body never gets confused, so if I give my body the most optimal way to have uh, immune responses, um, then my body will never get confused again. It won't attack itself. And, And that's like the simple science of it. So if I provide a perfect environment, and I say, quote unquote, perfect, like if I try to Um, feed it the right foods so that there's no toxins in my bloodstream so that I don't have leaky gut. If I um, give it the right kind of exercise and I actually no longer do the nine hour races because those are not good for my body. (laughs) Um, If I get, you know, optimal sleep, you know, quantity and quality. If I just make sure my exposure to toxins in this world is less from makeup products to cleaning products, um, then then my body just will live in a more optimal state and won't and my T cells won't be like sitting around going, what am I gonna attack today? So that's how mm-hmm. I see living with the disease. I love your perspective. Yeah. And I don't think it's woo-woo ever <laughs> to say that you think the body can heal itself. But actually like saying things that are woo-woo, I'm like, no, I think that's becoming yeah. at least it's becoming more mainstream, which is really cool. Um, can you take us back I know it's probably a, a very long story, but to the time you were diagnosed and how did you find out that you had MS? Well, I've got it down to like a five minute science. Okay. <laughs> um, I, um, over the course of a week started, the right side of my body started going numb and tingling. It started in my hands and it went up my arm. I thought I had a pinched nerve in my like traps and I went to a brand new Cairo and it started like going down the weirdest feeling was when it went down like it went half it was halfway down my body like it wasn't Mm -hmm. on the left side my right boob went numb that was really awkward because I was dating someone at the time and I was just (laughs) like I don't understand like I can't feel anything (laughs) I'll I'll let you your mind wander on that one (laughs) um so I went to the Cairo to get adjustment. I went to see my massage therapist. And when I went to the Cairo, you do like a full intake form, including family history. And my father has MS. So I wrote that down. And he did all of these neurological tests. He did um, like the prong, you know, like you hit it and it vibrates. I couldn't feel it vibrating mm. at all on the right side of my body. And he had, this was like a Friday. And he told me, um, you know, maybe you should go get an x-ray which I don't know why he said, because you can't find MS through an x-ray. It has to be an MRI. But I think he was trying to plant a seed in my brain that I needed to go search for answers. So on Monday after the weekend, my entire right leg had gone numb and then my foot. And that was just um, the last straw. I was like, okay, something's wrong. So I drove myself to the hospital and demanded that they figure out what was wrong. 
And even that was difficult. So they gave me, and I was also in a lot of pain. Um, I had a horrible, horrible migraine. Like it was almost like vomiting type nausea. And so they put me, I actually had to wheel around. Like they gave me a, a drip so that they could rehydrate me. I don't know why plus the pain meds at well as well and they gave me a cat scan cat scan didn't show anything and they're like well you know what if this still persists like come back in a few days I was like no <laughs> like that's not acceptable I'm in a lot of pain my body is numb and what's the next test like what is the next good test? for you that's so yeah. it was weird and I actually want to go back to that ER doctor and be like I presented completely now that I know everything about the disease I presented with MS symptoms like you should have immediately said MRI but what he told me and I realized was uh, even though we have an amazing healthcare system in Canada it is still broken and he said he had no more MRI slots for the emergency room that day and that I wasn't uh, it, my my case wasn't life threatening, and he had to reserve uh, the MRI for potentially life threatening cases. And I said, "Fine, I'll wait until the next slot opens up." So I waited 12 hours, and I got my first MRI. They didn't give me the dye, so they only found a few. They they call them lesions. And really, it's just points of inflammation. MRIs show inflammation in the body. And I had been, I sat down, I was in like one of those like curtained off areas, like there's other people around and a doctor called an internist came in and said, um, so I think you have MS, you're presenting with demyelination on your C2, C3 uh, area of your central nervous system but it's not conclusive so we need to give you another MRI in the morning so we're going to admit you for the night I was just like I'm sorry you just told me that I potentially have a life-threatening disease but you're not really sure um that's amazing so I'm going to lie here all night worrying about what you just said um and that's when I knew I had it like it was just I get it my dad has it so potentially it can run in families it can be genetic it's not conclusive but now now the research is showing that there's all these correlations that make you more susceptible to being on the autoimmune spectrum mm -hmm. so I lay on a gurney they didn't even give me a hotel room I was in the hallway underneath the nurses station all night my I called my best friend uh, Katie she drove to the hospital brought me contact solution and contact case oh. vitamin I remember this still vitamin water and Lara ball Lara bars so I could eat um, and we sat in the middle of the emergency room crying while um, like people having like overdoses were wheeled by and cops were walking by and I'm sitting having like a full realization that I've just been diagnosed with a really intense disease and there's like cops watching us and they came over and they're like did you know you're a really cute crier <laughs> thanks <gasps> thanks oh, so it was, a, it was a horrible experience in the hospital um it was the worst like night she left and I cried myself to sleep like mm -hmm. the entire night and um, I called my mom who lives, my parents are in Ottawa, which is where I live now. And they drove, my mom drove there immediately. And I like broke down when I saw her. But um, yeah, it was just like a horrible experience. And most people have horrible diagnosis. I actually, um, I don't talk about it a lot, but I was diagnosed and got symptoms within a week. Most people 
are years and years of like not having answers and not saying like and not demanding of their doctors find find out what's wrong mm-hmm. um, or they don't know because their symptoms are headaches or vertigo or um, dizziness or um, stumbling and they don't realize why and they don't realize to like really vocalize those symptoms and talk about it as you know because some people like if you stumble you're like uh, well that's not really a problem yeah and they don't vocalize that it is a problem um, so a lot of people don't get diagnosed for years and years and years great yeah so that's just I'm so grateful that you opened up and shared that. And I really think this is why you do the work you do because you can help a lot of people through that story. And I think what even I just learned now is like, there's no better advocate for our health than ourselves. And if you're not willing to look for the answers, no one's going to do that for you. And so I think like, that's why we, are in this health world, right? And, and looking to ensure that, yeah, people take care of themselves on a daily basis, but also push for the answers that innately we should know and we do, but others may discount us or say it's not important or head home for the night. Mm-hmm. So, And you discover it more after the diagnosis too, that you have to become your best healthcare advocate. I really like that you say that because I talk about it all the time, that even in your, your care after the fact, um, you go to, you know, your family doctor, you're assigned a neurologist, um, but they only take care of one part of your health. And sometimes we see them as the be all and end all like caregiver for ourselves and they have all the answers, but they really don't. And when you are diagnosed with a severe disease, you start realizing that you are the keeper of all of the information and all of the research. Mm-hmm. So you seek answers from different healthcare teams. So I hired I hired a neurologist. I hired a second one because I didn't like what the first one was saying. Um, I hired my family doctor. I hired an acupuncturist. I hired um, a therapist. I went back to um, psychotherapy. I hired a massage therapist. I hired a naturopath. Um, So I just hired all these team members because I wanted to solve all the different pieces of the puzzle Mm -hmm. and not one person was going to be able to do that for me. Um, and then you become the keeper of that information. I have an MS binder. Um, and like, I have all my tests. I have all of, um, the micronutrient tests, the blood works that I've done. I have all of my MRI reports. So I have this entire like story and I'm the only one that can put it together. And I'm the only one that can then take care of myself. And so one of my purpose in life and why I believe I was gifted with MS is so that I can teach people how to be more of an advocate for themselves um, and taking care of themselves before they get that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip. Like, I love that you have this all in a binder. It just makes me envision that you are essentially the gatekeeper of your own integrative health clinic. And like, it's like if the receptionist isn't there managing all the files, which is you, yeah. then all that information will never all come together and, you know, yeah. work together, essentially. So, yeah, it is important to seek out a variety of help. And oftentimes we head to the doctor and then we're like, okay, that's the answer I need. But there's so much more information out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you and I both really love working with doTERRA, too, is because they're teaching everyone to be more empowered with their healthcare. And there's so many times when um, we are given a diagnosis or we are um, 
when we're faced with a health crisis and we feel like we're not powerful enough to solve the problem, that if a doctor doesn't give us a magic pill, um, then we're not going to be able mm-hmm. to take care of ourselves. So the company that we've aligned with is actually teaching everyone that, you, that we have the power to ha- like use all of the different building blocks of health. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I alluded to that ahead of time that like I, you know, I solved my, uh, my eating. I wanted to do the right exercise for myself. And doTERRA has a chart that they teach in all of their classes, I was like, oh my gosh, this is completely what I'm doing for myself. So it was beautiful to see that a company like that would align with um, just simple tools to empower people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why like my mindset and my diagnosis and becoming aligned with a beautiful company all at once was like the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. It was all meant to happen that way. Yeah. So we'll kind of shift into another one of your projects. You actually wrote a book, which was called Love Lost, Life Found. And I'd love for you to give us an overview of what that book is about and maybe why you wrote it. Yeah, so it's um, eight practical steps to healing a broken heart and finding a life that you love. So that's the the positive chapters in the book. The love lost portion is just um, my story, a chapter in my life where I was engaged to be married in 2012 and called off the wedding a month before and left a very toxic relationship. I was living with um, a severely mental ill person. Um, And I had lost myself taking care of someone else in the process. And I needed to learn, one, how to love myself again to how to have fun and actually like be Robin again. I had lost who Robin was. And so I share eight things that I did in the, the years afterwards to, to just find myself again and have like a ton of fun. Um, so I mentioned like seasonal bucket lists on um, the blog and that was a big part of my healing journey is like I had stopped living and I needed to figure out how to live again. So, um, and I even used that as a dating tactic Afterwards, I would give my like summer bucket list to a guy and be like, "Pick something off the list. Um, what do you want to do today? <laughs> yeah. It has to be from this list." Yeah, <laughs> FYI, <laughs> uh, it was fun because like some some guys were really, and that would show me like, is a guy into adventure? Is he willing to kind of roll with it? Um, and some of them were like adrenaline junkie things, and if like the guy couldn't handle an adrenaline junkie thing, I'm like, oh, I don't think we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to be right for each other. It's a good test right away. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I published it in 2016 on the day that was supposed to be my wedding day. So um, it had always been like a hard date for me as I was healing because the date would come around and I would just be like, I actually like almost forgot it for a second, um, which is That's good. just showing the, the, the healing process. Yeah. Um, so my mom had said one year, like, when are you going to stop making this a sad day? And I was like, fine, I'll publish my book on that day. Mm -hmm. Done. Now you have something greater that happened on that day. Yeah. Um, I feel as though for many of us, the thought of writing and publishing a book seems impossible. Mm. Yet, you know, you are the chief alpha female. So you went ahead and did it, which is what I really love and admire about you. So was it hard to write a book? And how, like, what is the Coles Notes version of that process? Um, it was basically you find the times where you write best. So for me, it was the morning. So I just had to kind of slot times. And then I realized I also needed um, just like, t- like long days. So I booked a few weekends 
where like I went up to a few people's cottages and they may have been there, but I would just say like, hi, I need to write my book today. I'm just gonna like sit here and write. Is that okay? Cool. And I would just sit and write. So it depends on when you write best, but you figure it out and then you just kind of like time block it. And I did like the verbal diarrhea first version and then found an editor to help me structure. So I had someone read everything that I had put down without any kind of formal editing first and they helped me actually formulate the chapters. Um, so I had written a book proposal, I had actually reached out to a bunch of literary agents and they had told me my social media following wasn't big enough to get a publisher. And I said, fine, I'll self-publish. I worked for um, Kobo in Toronto, so um, I'm, I was really good friends with the director of self-publishing, our division, and he walked me through the process as he's an author as well. Um, shout out to Kobo Writing Life. <laughs> and, um, I, so once I got that back, I wrote the book proposal because it actually helped me structure everything and realize what chapters um, were going to come out of it and ha the flow of the book. And then I bought this software, Scrivener, Scrivener, and it's actually an amazing software for organization. So I took my big Word document, plopped it into Scrivener, um, and then edited it. And then I um, got another editor to do like a big cleanup and then finished writing the book in like hour chunks a day, like one hour every single morning. And then you can either hire an editor to do all the grammar fixes. I thankfully have a mom that is an editor, so my mom edited my book, which was absolutely beautiful for our relationship too because that was also a way for me to tell her everything that had happened without actually saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. So it was a really painful process for us because my mom found out things that I had gone through that I never told her. Mm -hmm. So that was difficult, but then mom edited the book. Um, I published it on Amazon, Kobo, and CreateSpace and Ingram Spark. So CreateSpace allows you to drop ship to Amazon. So if someone orders it on Amazon, they, like, they print it and send it. Yeah. Ingram Spark allows you to publish to bookstores. So if a bookstore wants to order it, they can um, ask for a certain number and Ingram Spark will uh, print it and ship it to the bookstore. The only problem with that is if the bookstore does not sell the books, they will send them back to you. So, oh, nice. <laughs> I, had, I had one, which was actually really cool. I had 20 books sent back to me at one point. I'm like, what am I going to do with these? Um, and I had actually found a beautiful school in Ottawa. It's called the Uville Center, and it's a school for teenage moms. And a Aww. lot of them have gone through really trying times. And I've actually gone in to speak twice at their school, and I, I gifted love them with the books. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So cool. It sounds like the book was therapy for you, therapy oh. for your family to come together, and obviously helping everyone who reads it and so I encourage anyone who has experienced something similar or even if not like grab the book and give it a read because um, I'm sure they'll find value in your story so speaking of weddings too you are planning mm -hmm. a current wedding which is so exciting we're both getting married I think a month apart yeah. so um, <laughs> as the listeners know I'm also in the midst of this and I feel as though we have very similar thoughts on the wedding that, you know, we still have to live our lives while planning this wedding and we don't want to sacrifice our businesses and um, just our life outside of the wedding planning. So um, how do you find the mix of doing your full-time job, your side hustles, all the while, you know, planning your 
dream day. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I'm still that little girl that wants the dream wedding. I'm still that little girl that has the the Pinterest board. I'm still that little girl that sits there and pictures like what I'm going to look like, how I'm going to feel on that day. And I'm not discounting that. Um, it is a hard journey just because there's a lot of trigger points coming up about the past and now the present and working through those like back in therapy for sure. Um, and little things kind of can set me off because I'm definitely, uh, and if your listeners are fans of Brene Brown, I'm a really good storyteller in my head. So if I like start thinking about something, I just like go like all like big spiral down the part, like, um, like we're a certain month out, uh, like I'm terrified that I'm going to get to the month out and have all of these fears surface because I'm really good at telling stories. And thankfully my fiance is the most patient and understanding man and just says like is that serve story serving you no okay so, like why are you thinking it it's not true it's not serving you mm-hmm. stop and I'm like when you put it that way it makes yeah. <laughs> it makes it sound like it's so much easier to just get rid of it so I'm dealing with like trigger points and um, the fact that I'm good at telling stories but then I also Um, There's a chapter in my book about why I believe I was in that relationship at that time. And I believe I got into that relationship because I thought I had to be married by a certain age and have babies by a certain age because my parents got married right after university um, and I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. So I was in a relationship with someone that was not right for me and I stayed in that relationship. I was an active participant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never want that to be the case. And thankfully... I found a beautiful partner that is actually a partner in life and that is no longer the case. But I never want to like feel like I'm rushing to that day because I do still want a family. I do still want um, to be married to a wonderful man. Uh, But I want to enjoy the present at the same time. And that's Mm -hmm. what I see wrong in today's wedding industry is that we put so much focus on the future. So we're future thinking to the wedding day and we don't take care of the present day. And you see it, especially with brides who their entire life is into that day. And then the day happens. And then like, what, what happens after, you know, they, they think that that day is the most amazing and it is an amazing day. Of course. But if you have no future plans or if you're not grounded in the present, then the day after is going to be the worst day of your life because Mm -hmm. what do you have to look forward to anymore? And that's why I love goals and dreams because they're constantly evolving, constantly developing, and you focus on all of them so that you're not putting all of your eggs into one basket. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I think is wrong with today's wedding industry is that the day is going to be amazing, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And there's such an unhealthy focus on a party. And there's not a healthy focus on the marriage. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of couples that end up getting divorced because there was no focus on their relationship Mm -hmm. during the process. Um, and they were just trying to get to that wedding day. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. And one thing that stirred in my mind is, you know, people ask me about my wedding all the time and I may seem like a bit nonchalant or even not excited, but I think it's because that I try to make every day of my life a really great day and an exciting day and I try to do things with my fiance Dave that we love doing on a monthly basis, not just one day of our life. Mm -hmm. And so I think like you said, there's this almost unhealthy focus of, okay, let's make your wedding day 
quote unquote perfect and then whatever else happens in between like good luck but it's like hey why not just enjoy the process go on that vacation before your wedding go like continue to just live your life in a way that every day feels good and if the wedding day doesn't go perfect that's okay because every day is going to be amazing from there on forward and Mm -hmm. it's all how your perspective is over the day so one of the other things that I had um realized that I needed in my life was um and it's in the book is not only bucket list but I wanted to create movie moments in my life and so I'm a big like romantic comedy fan and I realized that I have the power to create romantic comedy movie moments in my life so I constantly try to create them from um and this is why I also love documenting my life and so for example like if I uh, plan a really cool surprise for Mike and we go winter camping like going winter camping that weekend I document the whole thing I stay present in the moment like I have so much fun there I want to have just as much fun winter camping as I have walking down the aisle yes this is totally (laughs) um so I think that that's why I I, like get really annoyed when people always ask me about wedding planning because I'm like Ask me about planning my date night this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so stop just asking about the the party planning and ask like what you know we're doing as a couple to to build a life together. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I find that people don't talk about that um, as often as they do the party planning. It's like um, the story that we heard yesterday at Doter's leadership. It's like this girl who hit diamond which is a very milestone rank and then she went out to dinner with her friends and ever no one asked about like her job or anything around this new milestone in her business and she was just kind of sunk because our culture tends to be one that avoids sometimes those types of conversations and we want to just focus on the milestones of life hey how's the house did you buy the house did you get married like how are the kids and um, um, not that that's a bad thing those are great topics but it's safe topics. So our society, so safe. our society likes safe topics. It's the same reason why. So I've had, I've had one. I call not a hater. I've had one person confused with some of my blog posts lately, and I posted a blog post of why I'm annoyed when people ask me about wedding planning, and then trigger words when someone said you're gonna have the perfect day, and I said no, I'm not gonna have a perfect day. I'm gonna have an amazing day, and this person kept commenting. They're like. That person's just being polite. I'm like, I'm not interested in polite. I don't want to have a polite life. I don't want people surrounding me who are just polite to me. I want people, I don't want mean people, but like I want people that dig deeper. I want deeper connections. I want deeper conversations. I don't want polite so like society's comments. Like this, it's also why I hate when people say I'm sorry. Um, to my diagnosis. I usually, when I tell mm-hmm. someone I have MS, I said, I'm going to say something. And if you say the words, I'm sorry out of your mouth, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. So I like, don't feel sorry for people. me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a society um, kind of comment. It's also why when I am faced with someone who is dealing with grief, whether they've lost a loved one or they're dealing with a health scare, I also don't say the words, I'm sorry. Because um, I've, uh, I've noticed that that's just like the easy thing to say. But what what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of those overused terms that, yeah, it just, it doesn't hit that deeper level. And I think you as well as me, we're looking to, I want to chat like real talk with people. Mm-hmm. And you're right, not in a polite way all the time. Like, ask me the juice. Like, let me, you know, open up a bit deeper and yep. grow our friendship that way. 
Okay, so that's it. Um, Robin, you are truly a visionary woman in my life, and I know all the listeners will get so much value out of this. I love that doTERRA brought us together with our shared mission of spreading this self-directed healthcare initiative and empowerment through our health. So I love that that's the beauty of this business and the industry. So, I mean, it was amazing to have you on the show and awesome that we got to record this in Orlando. (laughs) And I wish you all the best over your podcast and wedding and business and (laughs) And all the things, everything. (laughs) So thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Visionary Life. Head to RobinBaldwin.com to learn more about Robin. I'm so grateful for this lady in my life. I mentioned that I would offer you an opportunity to come be part of this movement with us. Join forces with my tribe or just start being part of the change in healthcare and build out a business that is rooted in wellness. Well, I've partnered with another one of my doTERRA boss babe friends, Dr. Laura Hughes, and we're putting on a two-hour training in Toronto on Saturday, April 14th, and this will be held downtown. So if you're local to the area, keep your ears open. This training is for anyone who's been wanting to learn more about the power of essential oils, and newsflash, Dr. Laura Hughes is a wealth of knowledge. And also, if you want to come hang with us as we jam on all things business and entrepreneurship and what it really looks like to build out a doTERRA business. I can almost guarantee this event will not happen again anytime soon. So please clear your calendars and come join us. We would love that. In the meantime, while we get this event up and running and get all the details and logistical things sorted, please send an email to hello at kelseyridle.com to find out more and let me know if you're thinking it's your time to up-level, whether that's in your health and essential oil knowledge or in building out the business that you really deserve to have. Until next week, I hope you make tiny leaps in order to achieve your most visionary life. I'd love for you to join my insiders community. Just search Visionary Life on Facebook. We talk about our favorite books, our podcasts of the week, tools, tips, and tricks for making our lives easier as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. And really, it's just a place to have open and honest conversation. I love taking these podcast discussions offline. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. I send a beautiful essential oil blend, the visionary blend, and a love note from me to anyone and everyone who leaves a rating and review. Just make sure you take a screenshot and send it to me with your shipping address. And if you think I'm joking, why not try it out?